This is Ed Helms. You're listening to That's What She Said. That's What She Said, Episode 50, Business Ethics. Wow, that is really hard. You really think you can go all day long? Well, you always left me satisfied and smiling, so... That's what she said! (laughs) Suicide doors on my 57 Chevy Roll around town like a hero I got you on my mind Just like all the time Better town, nowhere to go And welcome to episode 50 of That's What She Said, a podcast about the Emmy Award-winning NBC show, The Office. As always, I'm your human resources coordinator, Matt Summer, and this week we're going to be taking an in-depth and spoiler-filled look at the second episode of season 5, entitled Business Ethics, which originally aired Thursday, October 9th, 2008. Holly's running the Business Ethics Seminar in the conference room, and Michael volunteers to show her the ropes. Two words, Robin Shyamalan. Immunity is offered... Scandal erupts, flax is flummoxed, and I'll never see the Outback Steakhouse in the same way ever, ever again. Lots to discuss, lots to talk about. Let's head on over to the water cooler. It's a real shame, because studies have shown that more information gets passed through water cooler gossip than through official memos, which puts me at a disadvantage, because I bring my own water to work. Why'd you do this? I didn't do it. Oh, the water cooler was brought over here for maintenance. So what do you guys hear? What's the scuttlebutt? And joining me at the water cooler again this week is our assistant to the regional manager, our dear friend, Kevin Crossman. Kevin, how you doing? I'm uh, doing great. And of course, here we are for another fun episode of That's What She Said, the most contemplative of all the podcasts. <laughs> that is true. And, you know, I, I think that it was kind of funny how they had him actually say that word correctly because they'd already had him say a word wrong earlier in the episode. You couldn't have <laughs> two in one episode. But, Kevin, I do want to take a second here to... Uh, commemorate the half-century mark. We've hit 50 episodes of That's What She Said. I know for some podcasts they've been doing that weekly and have blown right past that, but uh, two years and a couple of months for us here. Kevin, the big 5-0. So just uh, thanks for being there, and uh, thanks for listening. No, 50 is a great milestone in the show for sure, and we'll see how long it takes us to get to 100, I I suppose. (laughs) Well, if the show's on the air for another three years, uh, (laughs) we might make it, so we'll see what happens with that. All right, business ethics. I got to say, last week, Kevin, I know I took a lot of flack from people for being a little bit critical of weight loss, and my biggest concern, my biggest problem with the episode was that I felt like there was too much plot and not enough funny. And business ethics for me this week really turned that formula around. After the cold open, that really just kind of summed up a bunch of the plot stuff. Uh, The rest of the episode, 20 minutes, was pretty, I don't know, I thought it was a pretty good standalone episode. It it, uh, had a lot of great lines, a lot of good humor. I was, uh, Thursday Matt was very satisfied, and I've seen it three times since then. And uh, it still cracks me up, i got to say. Well, I can't say that I totally agree that this episode was totally fantastic. Uh, totally. Boo. <laughs> Terrorist. No, I, I you know, Traitor. It's, not, it's not that I hated it, but actually I have the basically the opposite reaction that you had, which was I thought it was way too much plot and not enough jokes and way too much emphasis on the whole Michael and Holly thing, and there weren't just a lot of jokes coming in in that regard. Or... In some cases, the jokes that were there were not particularly funny. 
I will say that once again, my uh, my new bromance with Jim Halpern is continuing, <laughs> and uh, that plotline definitely saved the day in this episode for sure. Right. Well, the Jim uh, Jim and Dwight plotline is for me, as you said, this was really really a highlight. I mean, the the Battlestar Galactica conversation was an all time nerd classic. It's got to be the whole. Uh, <laughs> peeing in his soda bottle under his desk. A lot of funny stuff in that episode, and it goes to a lot of a lot of character personality kind of issues and uh, quirks with Dwight. The man just loves being timed. He, <laughs> he does not question his boss, despite the fact that he could have easily just turned it around on, on Jim, as he did in the first week. Didn't in weight loss he have something similar to that, and they turned it around? Like, I'm going to report you. Oh, I'm going to report you. Right. But, you know, for whatever reason, he, he rose to the, the stopwatch challenge. A couple of people, I, I, you know, I think that I've gone on record before as, as saying that last couple of seasons I haven't been too thrilled with the Dwight pranking, mostly because of the fact that the writers have really fleshed Dwight out and made him much more sympathetic of a character. I think that so far in season four, the writers are doing their best to really undo a lot of that sympathy that we had for Dwight in the last season and a half. You know, everything out of his mouth, uh, Pan's not a virgin, uh, Oscar the time thief, all that mm-hmm. stuff, it's just, <laughs> it, it's just back to the, and I hate to say this because a lot of other people have been saying this too, but it had more of a, it did have, in that respect anyway, more of a second season kind of feel where Dwight is such an ass that we want to see him get pranked or abused in some way by the higher power and so for me it was very satisfying and especially one of the posters on the blog page brought this up as well that at the end if when Jim confronts Dwight about being gone for 19 minutes and says that line about you know well I guess you're not ethical after all if Dwight would have hung his head if he would have been shamed if he would have felt any sympathy uh, in that case I think that we would have kind of gone back on his side but instead we get that another uber creepy look at the camera (laughs) and we have no sympathy i mean he's totally unrepentant in his cuckolding of mr bernard so he's back to being the man you love to hate well and that scene was great because they both characters felt like they had won in their own way (laughs) but we as a viewer get to decide what side we're on i think the other thing with this pranking i and i completely agree with you about the writers doing these pranks in a much more um, believable way and a much more of a way that we're not totally sympathetic to Dwight. I mean, he set himself up by saying, I never wasted any time, so Jim goes out to prove him wrong. But the other thing was that these pranks this season are much more realistic. It's not, you know, Jim turning into a vampire or faxes from the future, which are just completely <laughs> unbelievable. So I, I agree with you. I thought this this was great. And that scene in particular, I, you know, Dwight there's still a little bit of, of, of spirit in him with regards to the situation with Angela. And I am really liking his point of view uh, on this whole, you know, clandestine operation he's been pulling. Well, they really changed, like I said, they've changed, for me at least, the tone has really changed since last season. Uh, even in Goodbye Toby, uh, he was very sad and depressed, talking about how he missed his chance and everything else. And then we, of course, got the quick hookup and, Ever since then, I mean, he's just really been an unrepenting, just kind of evil bastard, I gotta I say. Guess, I mean, <laughs> well, and speaking of which, I guess he did get his mojo back, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, he's, I don't know, man, it seems like it's every day. I don't know how many times he's getting that buzzer call, but <laughs> <laughs> he, 
He's got some stamina. I'll, I'll attribute that to a healthy beet diet. That's <laughs> <laughs> good for what ails you downstairs. Uh, you know, let's go back and talk about Michael and Holly because you said that uh, you thought it was a lot of unfunny stuff in there. And I thought it was interesting in a couple of ways. Last week, again, I got some flack again because I told everyone that I was disappointed that Michael and Holly didn't hook up or that didn't really go anywhere last week. And then this week... Rather than draw them closer, uh, 90% of the episode has them basically exploding in each other's face, where Holly's doing pretty much everything that go against Michael's kind of beliefs. Uh, She talks about how the business isn't a family, Mm -hmm. uh, wants to get people in trouble, you know, all this kind of stuff that really, really goes down the wrong path, leads to some... I don't know. I thought some hilarious scenes, like Michael uh, running to go in front of her (laughs) to photocopy the picture off the wall... (laughs) You know, that was amusing. I'm not sure if I would quite call it funny, but to me, to me, the thing with the Michael and Holly thing was that there was a lot of, you know, they have this, you know, they're getting together, they're going to do the, the ethics seminar, and they're working together, and then she doesn't quite do a good job. She knows she's not doing a good job, but she soldiers on anyway. And Michael gets in her face, and he dumps again. She buys something. He he throws it away. Uh, they go out to lunch. That you don't see the fight, but there's this, all this tension. I mean, there's a lot of plot going on there that I didn't. I mean, there were jokes sprinkled in, but I didn't find that there was a lot of really funny parts to it. The, I don't know. Re, the redeeming part of that storyline, though, was the fact that Michael did the stupid thing, dumping her lunch, ripping up the tickets, whatever, in the middle of the storyline rather than at the end. And I think by the end, maybe they've drawn a little bit closer than they started at the beginning of the episode because they went through this process and have learned a lot about each other and maybe are coming closer as a result. Well, no, I think, I mean, they definitely came closer at the end of the episode. The journey there, the thing that I thought was funny about that plot line is that Michael, you know, he thinks that she's such a perfect person and, and is his dream girl and tries to get in there. Two attractive, wonderful, beautiful, attractive people like ourselves can surely hammer this out, you know, and he's just, like, trying to slip in, uh, helping, you know, he's helping her do her presentation. He's all this stuff to try to weasel his way into that relationship with Holly. And the thing that was kind of funny is that he keeps soldiering on, even though he keeps kind of getting these little knocks against her as he goes along in the episode you know she's too moral or she doesn't believe the same thing he believes she she doesn't do the meeting the right way that he wants her to even though if she would have just done it straight you know none of this would have happened in the first place Uh, Mm -hmm. it was taking his bad advice of course that led to all the trouble that came up and then she ends up getting blamed she's the moral one which was another reversal the whole corporate agrees with michael thing was a very for me anyway i was a little shocked that they they went down that road he came to her rescue though at the end i mean and that's what brought her together yes. he felt sorry for her after getting chewed out brought everyone into the office got him to sign the forms and then watched happily so yeah they're, well, they're on better footing now and more importantly he let her run the meeting her own way at the end as well and was happy and enjoying and gave her a nice look and all that I think that's part of it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought there was a lot of... I, well, I don't know. I, I, maybe it's different in perception. I measure the episodes when I watch them on Thursday by how much I actually laugh out loud, and I found myself laughing a good deal this week. Um, not really so much laughing during weight loss, so I guess that's part of why 
why we flip-flopped during this week here. Well, let's uh, bring up one other thing, though, Kevin, before we get going. And people on the blog page and uh, all throughout the rest of the world of Office fandom have pointed out that this episode contains another kind of really blatant continuity error in uh, in the Office universe. We are, if you remember from last year's Survivor Man, we had the uproar about the, the wrong birthdays that were established. Um, mm-hmm. This year... The Fuhrer comes from Meredith Fling, her supposedly six-year relationship with the Hammer Mill rep. Now, sharp-eyed viewers and uh, people with long memories or people who run podcasts about The Office were probably <laughs> aware <laughs> that uh, way back in Season 3, we had in Episode 2, the convention, Michael's big redeeming moment, his big he's-not-a-fool moment was clinching the Hammer Mill account that heretofore had been a Staples exclusive. Sorry, my meeting ran late. Really? Yes. Jan, really, with the rep from Hammermill. They're exclusive with Staples. Used to be. Evan will call you in the morning to work out the details. We can now sell Hammermill products. Yes! <laughs> well, Michael, I, I underestimated you. Yeah, well, maybe next time you will estimate me. You know, the thing that's weird about that, again, then, is why that name? And they could have picked literally any paper company name to fit in there other than Hammer Mill, and this wouldn't come up. Uh, my only, I guess my theory, Kevin, rather than being a continuity error, I'm going with that the office has sold Hammer Mill a product placement in their show, and that's why they have used the name. Again, I don't think they just picked it randomly. Or, I mean, I guess maybe the less cynical answer might be they just forgot about the earlier episodes. Well, certainly the product placement is a very reasonable theory. I mean, they've done product placements before, or recently last week. But I wonder why did it have to be six years? Why couldn't it have been two years? Would two two years have not been equally egregious from an HR business ethics perspective? I don't know why they had to do this continuity problem. And you got to think that if all these people notice this continuity error right away. Wouldn't somebody on the writing staff have said something? Well, I guess this goes down like with a lot of shows where the fans know the episodes much better than the actual writers and creators do, so they might have long forgotten. This is is not a throwaway line about whose birthday came before someone else's birthday. This was a pretty major plot point on that uh, episode, the clip that you just played. I mean, that was a big deal. Well, it was. Uh, you know, there's not so many examples of Michael Scott, you know, pulling out the great business effort, you know, in the history of the show. I mean, you could probably count them on one hand, right? Right. So this is a big deal that he got this account. Well, that birthday thing actually was a very big deal as well. I mean, the original episode that it uh, took place in was a whole episode itself. So, you know, I don't know. I I think that uh, maybe they're just not <laughs> not as well-versed in the continuity as the obsessive fans. I didn't necessarily notice it on the first viewing, but, yeah, I mean, it's if you've seen the episodes, if you're someone that can quote all the lines, you know, you're going to notice it, and it's going to be a sticking point. Now, whether you can still enjoy the episode or not, I mean, that's not an issue for me at all. I don't, it doesn't really bother me, but you always hope that everything fits perfectly together, and I guess it's kind of sad to see one slip through the cracks. Fair enough. All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and get started then on the Michael plotline here. What is going on here in the episode? Well, I'll just let Holly explain. Today's ethics day. After they finish the quiz, I'm going to run my first meeting here. It's going to be insane. 
No, it's not. I have to read from the binder. I got it. Let's get ethical, ethical. I want to get ethical. Let's get into ethics, yeah. Let me hear your son of talk. Your body talk. Let me hear your body talk. Woo! All right. Why are you helping her? You're not even dating. She's my friend, and ultimately my strategy is to sort of merge this into a relationship without her even knowing. I think that's how Michael works best, is to kind of weasel his way in there. It's the old uh, Costanza theory, if you remember that. Yeah, exactly. Costanza. You know, this is pretty interesting. The fact that she, in that quote, it sounds like she understands that reading from the binder is lame. And thus she does the opening with with Michael there. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why she didn't kind of keep up the spice. Why she didn't try to you know keep things lively during the the, the seminar. Uh, that's the point that kind of makes me a little bit confused because if she understands that it's lame, why did she let it sort of go down the toilet, especially well, knowing how Michael's perception is about you know these conference room meetings. I think it comes back to the fact that any normal person in the real world would just read the thing out of the binder, and everyone would go back to work after a half hour, but, you know, <laughs> she's going down Michael's path, and Michael's Michael probably came to her and helped her maybe work on the uh, intro, classic Michael Scott action there, and just didn't work on the rest of it until it was a little too late, perhaps, in his mind. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, rather than make it some big show, nobody wants to sit there and have some entertaining ethics discussion. As Kendall points out later on, all they wanted them to do is sign the form and fax it in. Well, there were a couple of visual things in that clip that you played that I want to comment on. First of all, doesn't Holly look cute in the vest? I think she looks great. And the headband great. really worked. But even just the vest, she can take the headband off. With it. But the, the little business vest I think is great. And the other thing I loved was Jim's reaction shot. His, his little nod after we understood that it was another Michael Scott twisting the lyrics around. I thought that was a pretty funny shot, too. <laughs> well, that's, that was my first big laugh-out-loud moment of the episode, just seeing the two of them walk in there and do their little dance. And even the, whole, even the business at the beginning where Michael's, like, reaching his arm into the <laughs> door to try to push the button on the CD player, I don't know. Now, we already talked about this last week, and I'm down so far as really not being a big Ryan fan. Too cartoonish, as I mentioned the last time. In this episode, he really does nothing to... <laughs> Nothing to change my opinion of him. In fact, at the meeting, he gets called out for, well, actually being the one responsible for the training here. And is he repentant? Well, not quite. Okay, elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. Do I regret what I did? Of course I do. Even though it was an amazing ride, and I'll give you an example. Anyone see Survivor Season 6? Anyone know Joanna on that show? In New York City, I hooked up with a girl who looked... Exactly like that. Indistinguishable. So. Okay. Well done. Good speech, Ryan. You're a good guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, only Michael's still sticking by his buddy there, i got to say. So, Kevin, I know you're a big Survivor fan. How is, uh, how's Joanna looking? Uh, she's not the prettiest girl on that show. I mean, that season <laughs> six, there were two, two of the girls appeared in Playboy. So, uh, And she went out, like, fourth in the, in the season. So she definitely wasn't a memorable... Uh, person that that season, although Dwight recognized her, he remembered her. That was kind of interesting. Just, just like you, he's a big Survivor fan. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Something about those uh, 
great minds think alike, I guess, right? But, of course, this was the, the big Ryan moment in this episode since his uh, other storyline was in the deleted scene. And, uh, yeah, you're right. He's still sort of sticking to that, of course I'm sorry, but no, I'm not really sorry, uh, <laughs> reminding everyone he was the youngest VP or all, all of this stuff. And yeah. uh, It was an know, amazing ride. <laughs> but I, I like the smarmy, the smarmy Ryan, you know? Yeah, and we'll talk more about the deleted scene because that really was much more satisfying. Well, after the big musical number, as you mentioned, Kevin, the meeting starts to take a somewhat downhill turn as Holly's binder reading isn't quite meeting Michael's high standards. In fact, spending a half hour at the water cooler during work hours is a form of stealing. What? Yes, it's called time theft, and it's the same as taking money from the company. Can we have a moment? People expect a lot from these meetings. Laughter, sudden twists, surprise endings. You need to be Robin Williams and M. Night Shyamalan. You need to be Robin Shyamalan. Well, if I just have to get through the binder, you're just, you're kind of losing them. I am? Yeah. Michael makes a really good point, so uh, let's just open this up a little bit. Say, my name is Lauren, and here I am shopping in a supermarket, and I steal a pencil. That's not right. <coughs> Lauren, turn off with the pencil. Dude, I'm sorry, I don't know. I love that line. <laughs> you gotta be Robin Williams and M. Night Shyamalan. I don't know. People are expecting twists and turns and surprise endings. I don't know. I, I That's my second big laugh-out-loud moment in this episode so far. Well, that line didn't do much for me, although I did like the the earlier line you didn't play about uh, Stanley, Stanley Zinger and the hey-o from Andy. And, uh, Michael <laughs> yeah, you can't set him up can't, like you that. You can't set him up like that, exactly. So <laughs> I like that part better. I didn't like the Robin Williams thing, but, uh, you know. Some people. I just think it's hilarious that Michael has these expectations of what people want out of his meetings. That <laughs> They want these crazy twist endings. Well, uh, his, in his mind, that's uh, that's the value that he brings as the boss. You know, certainly not other aspects of his business repertoire. So well, that is true. Now, this perhaps comes into the <laughs> another big humorous line in this episode here. Well, as the meeting progresses here, now Oscar and the other people in the office are starting to rebel against Holly's, as Oscar put it, just corporate shoplifting memo, and they get into the idea of ethics and what ethics is. And leave it to Mr. Bernard to set the record straight. I'll drop an ethics bomb on you. Would you steal bread to feed your family? Boom! Exactly, Andy. Yeah, I took into her philosophy twice. No big deal. It's a trick question. The bread is poisoned. Also, it's not your real family. You've been cuckolded by a stronger, smarter male. No, that's not how it works. I would not steal the bread. And... I would not let my family go hungry. Okay, but we should get back to business. Dude, I don't care. That was, again, Dwight just being such an asshole. <laughs> Rubbing it right in Andy's face. Right in the middle of the, the big boardroom meeting. You know, you've been cuckolded by a much stronger, smarter male. Well, that was a line that I think you could easily miss on a first viewing. You just, what, what, what are they saying? And it's already gone, but that, thanks to the rewind button, if you're watching it online or <laughs> something like that, you can definitely go back and take a look. Cause yeah, you're right. I think that is a clever line. But that line by Michael at the end, see, that didn't do anything for me. And this is an example of the sort of lightness on the jokes in this episode. Uh, come on. Andy's, uh, I took intro. He's proud of the fact that he took intro to philosophy twice. 
it's not a big deal. <laughs> it's the best achievement of some sort. I mean, I don't know. I just think that uh, you're focusing too much on the, the maybe the whiffs and not enough on the hits, my friend. I guess. All right. And then I, 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 I do. I do expect the office to have a higher batting average, though. As the meeting goes on, then Michael, his big idea for Holly is to open things up and just to get everybody talking about the malfeasance and the time wasting that they've done in the office. And much <laughs> against her better judgment, she uh, follows Michael's lead, which leads into some uh, rather interesting confessions. Sometimes I download pirated music onto my work computer. Who hasn't? I once reported Oscar to the INS. Turns out he's clean, but I'm glad I did it. Well, let's keep this party moving on. I'll go. Have you guys ever met Bruce Myers, the Scranton rep for Hammermill? Bruce! Well, for the past six years, I've been sleeping with him in exchange for discounts on our supplies and Outback Steakhouse gift certificates. Jackpot. <clears throat> Meredith, that is serious. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy talk, Meredith. <laughs> Wow! I love how Michael just, you know, he's just freaked out by it. He doesn't think there's anything, you know, corporately wrong with it. He just is offended as a human being, as am I, so. I, I think he was just, he was, this was juicy, juicy gossip. And he just didn't know what to do with it. It was like, okay, we got to stop because there's nothing going to get better than this. Exactly. Someone's sleeping for steak coupons and employee <laughs> discounts. And, of course, it's Meredith of all people. So I think that that was, uh, tells you a lot about Michael's point of view. Uh, I do want to point out one other thing. You didn't play the, the clip there where you talked about how he was addicted to YouTube over, <laughs> you know, when it first discovered he didn't get any work done for a week. I got to tell you, I have a 10-year-old son who's just discovered YouTube, and I can't tell you how much I've thought about Michael Scott over the past couple of days when I've watched my son <laughs> get addicted to YouTube. You must have watched Cookie Monster sing Chocolate Rain a thousand times. <laughs> I think that said a lot about Michael's, you know, <laughs> mental state and his uh, age or something in his head. That's the thing. I mean, I love all those different confessions in there. Everything that everyone said, again, to me was hilarious that Angela's, I, re I reported Oscar to the INS. Kelly's, you know, I pirated music and Michael's, oh, who doesn't, you know? <laughs> and Holly, all the while, Holly's just sitting there with her eyes wide open, just just totally shocked and, and baffled by the fact that this is happening. I did like that you are a thief of joy. That, that was a pretty <laughs> good line. That, you could probably put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, we'll get to that when we talk about the Jim and Dwight plot line. But, yeah, that whole thing, let's talk about that thing then with Meredith, because, you know, Kevin, the last couple of weeks we talked about what we wanted to see, and you mentioned that you wanted Oscar to have a bigger role in the show, and he, so far in the last two episodes, mm -hmm. has sort of had a bigger role in the show. He uh, had some good lines in this episode this week. And I mentioned that I wanted to see Meredith get a bigger role and not be quite the cartoon character. Well, I got at least half of my wish <laughs> this week. She uh, did have a much bigger role. Unfortunately, she is still a ridiculous, really ridiculous cartoon character. So uh, sex for paper discounts and steak coupons, as you say. Quite... <laughs> Yeah, now, if she was just getting a, a paper discount, would she have fallen into that uh, ridiculous line, or was it? did the steak coupons push it over the edge? Well, you know, you? It, 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 it might be just be a girl thing, but, you know, the steak coupons <laughs> just made her feel so good about herself afterwards. You know, I, see, that's the whole, I don't know. For one thing, it's kind of weird because she's not a salesperson anyway, so it's kind of strange to me that she would have sex on the condition of getting a discount. 
I mean, I'm assuming that they just somehow hooked up and then that, or maybe he offered it to her <laughs> as a discount because, I mean, she's like customer support or something, I thought. wasn't. What did we figure out yeah, that she was? Yeah, right. So it's a little kind of a strange, circum, I don't know, circular relationship how that works out. And I mean, everybody loves ribeye, you know, as she says, so can't blame her <laughs> for that. <laughs> but just, I mean, You're, super creepy. Oh, yeah, for sure. That confessional then, as we said, leads to Holly just being totally shocked. Michael ends the meeting right there. You know, I think we had a great productive meeting. Uh, as totally wrong, of course, as always. No one's learned anything during this meeting. But he closes it down, and Holly is quite shocked. And she basically calls Michael to task, tells him that, you know, this is wrong. We have to do something. There's no way, there's no way that she can let this go. Um, you know, she's never heard of anyone keeping their job after such a crazy crazy scandal. Meredith isn't helping her cause in his off in Michael's office either. <laughs> and again, some good lines in there. He's like, Meredith, just, you know, tell us that it was all meaningless and you just, you're, you sleep around and everything else. And I love that line where he just comes it up. We're trying to help you here, you old bag. <laughs> For the love of God, we're trying to help you, stupid bag. <laughs> exactly. No, I, uh, the, I, she got a good line off too. The, there's not a lot of fruit in those looms. That was another <laughs> one that could pass by if you didn't pay close attention but you but you're right michael realizes you know that there's definitely uh this situation needs to get resolved because he can see already the path that holly's falling down uh he obviously is known from years of working with toby and other hr reps kind of what happens when the hr person goes a little mad and follows the rules a little too closely so he knows he needs to spring into action make this right well i'm not sure exactly what the the message is here holly's obviously in the right and everyone else in the show from corporate on down, are in the wrong. So, I mean, what are we supposed to... Is this a sad commentary on the state of business in 2008, or am I reading too much into this? You're reading about 300 pages too much into this. Uh, well, Michael obviously is just stupid, but the, the corporate reaction is a little shocking, I have to say. And the thing that comes out of this first meeting here, though, is that Holly brings up and Michael brings up that whole idea of the, this is a family and people in the family do weird things. And Holly lets him know, as you said, that they're not simpatico. They're not thinking the same way. And I guess why, where I thought this was funny than the rest of the episode is that Michael, despite the fact that he's kind of knowing that she's going in the wrong way, that she doesn't agree with him at all, keeps barreling forward and, and keeps trying to, uh, to win her over with such wonderful delights as a Cooper's seafood lunch. Anyway, I was giving it some thought, and there's no reason that two attractive, good-looking, intelligent, funny, attractive people can't, you know, just sit down and work this whole Meredith thing out. Sounds good. Would you care to bang it out over lunch? You know what my favorite season is? Maybe we should talk about Meredith first. Yes. Yeah. Get the boring stuff out of the way. Autumn was what I was going to say. When the leaves change... Okay, so I've gone over this, and I've thought about it, and I just don't think there's any way I can write a report that doesn't end with her being terminated. Wow. Terminator. Terminator. I'm from the future. Yeah. So again, I mean, she shows there that they're, along the, they're thinking along the same lines. Some other stuff I didn't play in that clip, though, is when uh, he comes back. What does he say? Hallelujah, you're at your desk. And then she says, it's Mike Raculous. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're reaching. You're reaching there, but you'll learn. <laughs> and you can see the look on her face. I mean, she's just crushed by that. And I don't know if it's just because he's upset about 
the whole Meredith thing already. But um, and then he throws, he, as you mentioned before, she throws her lunch in the garbage can, and then and then go, oh yeah, well I guess we we'll have to pay for each other, you know. Uh, yeah, it's seafood where they, where they order lobster, so I'm sure that's an expensive lunch at well, Cooper Seafood House. Actually, Kevin, if uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you pause your TiVo there, you can see the sign out in front of Cooper's. They had a twelve ninety nine lobster basket lunch special that day. Well, I'm sure it cost more than the Caesar salad she was eating at her desk, but. <laughs> In any case, uh, you know true. it was interesting. You could you could see when she when Michael came back to her desk, she was she was smiling a lot, and, she, and when he was talking about attractive people and all this, I think she's still. I think she thought, well, maybe we're going to still get together. Maybe he's asking her out on a date or something like that. But you know, so she was really smiling there. But then the weird thing was, when he was talking about the chastity belt, did you notice her reaction? She was. She, it was like she doesn't even want to think about sex or something, and it was just bizarre. I mean, she kept shaking her head and looking down. Very well, weird. Michael's dialogue—I don't know. Michael's dialogue in that scene was just ridiculous. The, I mean, you know well, that. obviously, yeah. yes. You know, you open a little door down there where you stick it in, and you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like shut up, stop uh, while you're eating the lobster. Don't want to hear that. And speaking of which, in this next scene, then this is really where the breakdown occurs where Holly really violates one of Michael's fundamental business philosophies. I just don't want my employees thinking that their jobs depend on performance. I mean, what sort of place is that to call home? Well, that's very sweet, but we have to follow the protocol. Those are the rules. Okay, new idea. We don't report her at all, we just punish her. We punish her. Mm -hmm. Tell her can't have sex for six months. I don't think we could enforce that. I don't know. I saw this thing, like a belt with a key. The chastity belt. I'm saying that her behavior is unethical and okay. a little icky. And I don't think I want to work in an environment where that sort of conduct is tolerated. Well, you have to tolerate a lot when you're part of a family. It's not a family. It's a workplace. Oh, snap. There you go. Holly almost loses Michael's heart right at that very moment. Uh, at least for the car ride home, anyway. Well, you know, Matt, I don't know what exactly is going to happen in upcoming episodes, but I have a feeling the line, I'm not sure I want to work in a place where they tolerate this kind of behavior, I think that that line will come back to haunt us someday. <laughs> well, that's pretty much what happened with all, all the uh, Stanford employees, wasn't it? Well, I suppose. But a lot of them <laughs> just, I mean, it wasn't quite the unethical behavior, but, you know, other extenuating circumstances and... You know, having to get shoved up on a table and things like that. But um, anyway, yeah, that, you know, that definitely cuts to the core of Michael Scott uh, saying that this isn't a family because, as we've talked about in numerous times, that is his worldview of the office. Exactly. And these people are his friends and family, and he is, the, of course, the father that must put up with all of their crazy shenanigans. And, yeah, I don't know. He just Maybe it's just that whole – I mean, it goes back to – uh, God, the episode from season two where uh, someone takes a dump in Michael's office, and I can't remember the name of it right now. But, you know, he has a discussion, almost the same discussion with uh, Ed Truck, you know, before he's decapitated, where he tells him the same thing. Why can't uh, your family be your family, your friends be your friends, and your workers be your workers? And Michael somehow has never learned that lesson. I don't know. Maybe he's just used to, so used to being that salesman guy. I don't know. These are the only people he knows, his only friends. And even though Meredith is a skeety skank, he's not going to 
not going to throw her out. Well, he's disappointed, obviously, that Holly doesn't see it this way, and uh, I think he's probably a little emotionally crushed that <laughs> this uh, perfect woman is maybe not quite so perfect after all, at least philosophically. Right, and we have that uh, that uncomfortable car ride home where they don't speak to each other. <laughs> and, Kevin, I, I have to say, the real crime here was throwing away the lobster. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was shocked and amazed by that. But anyway, yeah. he throws away her, uh, you know, won't ride up in the elevator with her, throws her leftovers in the garbage can. Um, as I mentioned before, he, you know, if she comes in for some coffee, he, like, just takes the pot and walks out of the room with it. I thought that scene was very funny. I didn't like the coffee as much, but oh. the coffee scene was definitely funny. Because you could see she's trying to, to try to make amends, and he just... Has wants no part of it. Right, she's a big smile on her face, holding out her travel mug, and he just it takes the whole pot away with him. But no, I'm sorry, that copy machine gag I thought was hilarious. She comes up to it, he runs out there to cut in front of her, and he has nothing to copy, so he grabs the painting off the wall and just starts copying it. You know, sitting there like, oh, nothing's going on. I'm I'm really just using the copier. And Holly has kind of a sad little speech in there where she talks about how she lost her only friend in the office, mm-hmm. or her best friend in the office, how she, when she was a child, she was a hall monitor and got egg salad put in her locker. Unfortunately, things have not changed very much. Now, we got another throwback here in the episode, Kevin, back to the job where uh, David Wallace talks about that annoying HR rep they have named Kendall. Well, Kendall is back on the line. He's gotten... Holly's report, and, well, things don't quite go the way Holly expects them to. Listen, Holly, Michael, I just got the report that your branch submitted, and there's a lot of stuff about a relationship Meredith is having with Yes, that came out during the ethics seminar. And let the record show that it was during the immunity part of the seminar. Look, to be honest, the company's getting a discount at a tough time in our balance sheet, and I don't know that the right thing to do for the company is to turn our noses up at that. I thought it was clear with you, Holly. Your task was to get signatures from the employees showing that they completed the training. No, I understand. Because every other branch has managed to get this to us, so if it's not something you can handle, that's a different discussion. No, I, I can do it. Good. How do you tell somebody that you care about deeply? I told you so. Gently, with Rose, in a funny way, like it's a hilarious joke, or do you just let it go? Because saying it would just make things worse. Probably the funny way. <laughs> and no one is surprised by that response, of course, from Michael. Now, I, I guess I always imagined Kendall as being much more of a Weasley guy along the lines of Flenderson there, so... A little, a little surprised to hear him be such a hard ass, and I, I don't know. What, what do you think about this? I can't. I just find this kind of just baffling that they didn't care that they went along with Michael, and uh, it's a tough time. We have to go for the discount. We don't care, and basically threatening to fire poor Holly for bringing this to their attention. Well, certainly things must be pretty dire up there at corporate if if the HR guy is making this kind of decision, which is clearly unethical. I don't know. This this doesn't hold good tidings for Dunder Mifflin corporate, I don't think. <laughs> well, you know, like you said, uh, the economy is in trouble, and so maybe that 15% is all that's <laughs> keeping them, all that's keeping them solvent, Kevin. Go, you know, to go. At, at first, I thought the guy on the phone was Todd Packer pretending to be a guy from HR. I think that would have actually been funnier <laughs> if uh, Michael had gotten clever and just worked it out so she didn't have to report it, but this is in some ways more shocking, I suppose, to actually have someone from actual AR, HR 
do the dirty work, so to speak. Yeah, and it's kind of weird, too, because when they introduced David Wallace, he always seemed like such a straight shooter and uh, somebody that wouldn't really go in for this kind of shenanigans. So it's kind of weird to, to hear that coming from corporate. I guess having Kendall be in, the, in between there still absolves him of some kind of guilt. Still, Maybe, maybe Kendall was uh, somebody that Ryan had hired, and so he shares the same business philosophy? No, no. remember, he was there from before Ryan got hired, because Wallace... In the job, oh, he mentioned right. that Kendall was the annoying HR rep that they had there. Right. So he's, uh, you know, he's Maybe been he around. Maybe hired Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be. That could be. I don't know. Uh, it still puts Holly in a position. Michael there, of course, then at the end is, against all odds, he is somehow right in a situation where there's no reason to believe that he would be the one that's correct. But he is somehow. He, he has that over Holly. He's got the I told you so. And... Unfortunately, or fortunately for Holly, I guess, Michael doesn't want to see his lady love get her soul crushed. Can I have everyone's attention? Excuse me, may I have everyone's attention, please? We need to finish the ethics seminar. No way, lady. It's a trap. Everyone, please, I just need your signatures to show corporate that I gave you the training. Don't sign anything. Okay, everybody, listen up. If you are not in that conference room in two minutes, I am going to kill you. It's a quarter to five, and I have started to gather my things. Get in there right now, or I'm going to lose it! Am I getting fired? Now is really not the time, Mary. I love that. You know, no, I'm not worried about you. He's more worried about other pressing matters. So... <laughs> He comes to Holly's rescue. He's her white knight, gets everyone in the office, in the conference room, and then, as we said before, he kind of sits there with a little beatific grin on his face while she reads the plain old boring vanilla <laughs> ethics seminar out of the binder. So kudos to Michael and uh, redeemed the relationship a little bit there. If, if nothing else, hopefully next week we'll see them back together. I don't know. I, I, I really have no idea what's going to happen with that relationship. I know that we only have a couple episodes left in the season where Amy Ryan's committed, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, are they going to go the whole thing without them actually connecting, or are they going to connect, and then instantly something's going to go wrong, he's going to leave the company, or I don't know. What do you think? I think it would be uh, very frustrating if they didn't get together, at least it's in some regard. What did you think of the uh, the bumper there at the end with everyone chomping down on ribs and steak? <laughs> well, speaking of product placements, Kevin, um, I'm hoping the Outback Steakhouse paid them quite handsomely for this, and it did look did look pretty delicious there. I I <laughs> thought it was quite amusing, you know, it had the awesome blossom on the table and Stanley's. Uh, I don't care what she's doing, just keep the ribs coming, you know. <laughs> that was pretty funny. It, it it fit right in there with what I think the people in the office would. That would be their true cause of concern is, are, am I getting free food? It worked out. It is, it is kind of funny, too, that Kevin has sort of the biggest insight in that scene where he mentions the fact that, you know, I don't get why she doesn't just take cash. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's a tip. <laughs> I don't know. So, well, so then you got to wonder where this guy Bruce is getting all these coupons. <laughs> well, they're a gift. At first, she does, at the beginning, she says, gift certificates so well, well right exactly but i mean maybe he's is he trading something else <laughs> for a, a series of outback steakhouse gift cards which well, he then is trading and for something else yeah maybe he's got some kind of three-way sex <laughs> triangle going on there who knows <laughs> maybe the other woman's getting paid in uh dunder mifflin paper <laughs> i don't know all right well that's going to lead us into talking about the b plot and uh the b plot this week really is jim versus Dwight. Um, 
I'm including the cold open in this plot line because it's the only time that we actually get to see or, well, hear Jenna Fisher in this entire episode. And the, the cold open, as we mentioned before, does a really good job of shortcutting all the big plot points from last you know, the last episode into that one minute and a half clip. We get uh, information about, you know, uh, Jim and Pam being married. We get information about Andy and Angela being married and all the other relationships all compressed into that one little clip there. But, Kevin, I, I got to say, like, I understand this is part of the plot line with Pam being gone at art school, but, I mean, is she off doing something? Is she filming a movie or something? Why is she not in the episode? You know, that's a really good question because it is it is a little weird and her absence was definitely noticeable in this episode. And I did a little looking around and it doesn't look like she's filming anything, so I'm not sure what to, you know, how you could explain the absence unless there's some sort of, you know, season-long plot line that they have to make sure that, that she's absent for, something maybe similar to season three or the way Jim was absent. But, yeah, you know, at least we got to see Jim. Right. <laughs> You know, and we got to see we got to see her last week, so maybe it's just a weird anomaly this week with the short episode or whatever. But yeah, it was it was really weird to not see her, and I certainly hope this doesn't continue on for more than maybe an episode or two more. Yeah, I mean, I know it's part of the plot that she's off at uh, college, but it seems really it, it almost seems like a really strange sacrifice to me to leave one of your star players on the bench, as it were, for an mm-hmm. entire episode. I, I'm not counting the phone call as her being in the show. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's okay, but it's it's no substitute for for her being there. And you and I talked about this before, that once she comes back, then what does that mean for Ryan on the show? I mean, is he going to be gone? Is he going to stay? Is he going to move to a different position? What's going to happen in that respect? Yeah, I really think they haven't exploited his uh, position there as the receptionist very much. So, I'm I'm I am looking forward to them actually doing something with that and having you know playing around with some perceptions, maybe some gender things. But uh, obviously, we want to see Jenna Fisher back too, and she should have her butt in the seat here pretty soon. So I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, aside from being the crazy, super evil villain cartoon no repentance guy, did actually have one good line in this episode here with Michael, where he's uh, you know what's worse than one HR rep, two HR reps. Yeah, you got you get me. <laughs> And I think that was a good line. Be, there's a nice little relationship between the two of them. Uh, think of the evil schemes they could work together. Uh, you know, Pam's always busting Michael as uh, the conscience, as the receptionist. So think of what uh, what could be done with the evil Ryan at the phone. That's true. That's <laughs> the mind boggles. <laughs> All right, well, um, let's just go ahead and then dive into this. Now, Pam, as we said, is off at off at school and is chastising Jim and chastising the office for not calling her and congratulating her about the engagement. Uh, turns out that Jim has not told anyone, which to me makes perfect sense, and based on their hiding their relationship last year, it should make perfect sense to Pam. Uh, I guess she wants some of that you know, engagement time, wants to bask in the glow of her current uh, or pending nuptials, and so she gets Jim to announce it and unfortunately, it doesn't go quite the way that uh, either of them expect, or maybe it does. Uh, everybody, just wanted to make an announcement. Pam and I are engaged. Hi, everyone. I thought you were already engaged. Nope. That was Roy. She was engaged to Roy. Thank you, Angela. I got a gift for Pam and Roy. Do I have to get another one? Yes. 
little close to my engagement there, Tuna. What's your game here? To get married. She's not a virgin, you know. Wow. What's going on? No, nothing. Nothing, Michael. Just saying hi. The tall guy got engaged. To be married? Yep. And, of course, the physical gag that you can't see there. Michael full-on tackles Jim to the floor in an exuberant embrace. Now, I know that Pam and Michael have had issues, but I found it a little baffling that she would not want to tell him, especially considering the reaction of everyone else in the office. Well, I think that that's really more to set up the gag there of Michael acting, obviously, way too inappropriate, way too enthusiastic about the whole situation. But it does show, like we talked about in the earlier part, that Michael does view this as a family, and he's the only one who views this news like a family member would, that this is the greatest news of the day, and let's celebrate uh, perhaps a little bit too much. But, you know, that's his reaction versus the people in the office who are very businesslike, so to speak, and their reaction to uh, this news, like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, how's it going to hit my pocketbook? Especially, yeah. and, and of course, the weird one here is Kevin because Jim and Kevin have been sort of close. His reaction—I don't know, maybe he's still short for money from the from the episode, the webisode, <laughs> the ice cream cone fiasco. <laughs> but uh, in any case, yeah, he—you you think you get a little bit more love from Kevin in that regard? Well, that's just that, that's the irony, I guess, is that you know they want to tell everyone else, but everyone else in the office has the worst possible reaction. Not one single person congratulates them or says anything positive. Um, you know, half Oscar, oh, aren't you already engaged? You know, Dwight, you're not a virgin. Uh, Andy getting upset. Uh, Kevin, just like you said, worrying about his, his gift. And uh, so, yes, <laughs> they should be glad that Michael's there. I mean, he's the only one as goofy or over the top as it is. At least, at least he shows a little love to the couple. The, the one thing I will say, this is such a well-written scene because, as you mentioned, you get all the plots out of the way from last week, but also you get all these little quirks from a whole bunch of different characters just in one line explaining what kind of character they are. Creed, you know, the, the tall guy just still doesn't know Jim's name. Of course, Angela has the, the biting comment, the disapproving comment. So I, I thought it was a very well-written scene. Yeah, it gave you everything you need to know to catch you up uh, on last week pretty much before diving right into the episode here and as we saw earlier in the conference room when holly was chastising everyone for their time thievery uh dwight got a little holier than thou and uh jim took the opportunity to call him out on it time thief time thief fire him dwight you've really never stolen any company time never you are a thief of joy yawn four seconds what are you doing? Oh, you had said that you don't do anything personal during work time, so I'm just making sure. Oh, wait a minute. So you're going to time me every time I yawn? That's absurd. Oh, hey, look. Monkey knows how to use a stopwatch, everybody. He's ta... Personal conversation. 17 seconds. There is no way that that was... One second. Uh, I mean, this. we talked about this before many times as far as pranks go, and... I'm on record, and to much people's chagrin, perhaps, as talking about how I'm not a huge fan of the Dwight pranks, and especially because of how I feel the writers have humanized him the last few seasons and and made him a much more sympathetic character. Um, I think, as as much as I don't really want to sink into hyperbole here, because I don't really necessarily believe it, but um, 
one thing that is very season two-ish about these new episodes this last three weeks is that the writers are, it seems like they're really doing their best to return Dwight to his villain status that, uh, that he enjoyed those first two seasons. Um, very unrepentant to anything that's going on. I mean, he's right here, you know, he's calling people out, calling Pam, you know, she's not a virgin, uh, fire Oscar, uh, all this other stuff. And so he definitely deserves the the shit that Jim is going to put him through. Uh, the The funny thing, I guess the weird thing is why does he submit to it? Why does he, uh, why do you think that he bows down so, so readily to the mighty stopwatch? Oh, I think it's just a plot contrivance uh, to get him to go along with the joke, so to speak. But I, I agree with you that these, these pranks are definitely well, more well written than they have been in the past couple seasons. Uh, not only because of the whole situation as it relates to Dwight in his role in the show, but the fact that these are, a lot more believable than than Dwight believing that Jim has turned into a vampire or faxes from the future. So uh, definitely these are there's a they're fun. Jim is is doing something on purpose, but he's he's got kind of like a little twinkle in his eye. I think very sympathetically to kind of teach Dwight a lesson that he shouldn't be so holier than thou. Right. So I really enjoyed this plot line. It definitely was a saving grace for me. The the weird thing about this is it's almost very similar in a way to the first episode of the season where. Uh, you know, Dwight threatens to write up Jim, and then Jim turns right around and says, oh, I'm going to write you up. And and then they have a stalemate. This seems like a similar kind of situation. Dwight certainly could be within his uh, his powers just to, you know, do the same thing, turn it right back at Jim. Now, why does he go along with it? I think it's just, despite the fact that he hates Jim, Jim still is his boss, and he loves being timed, as we saw, uh, you told me before, in that uh, episode where he... Pam timed him running around the building last year. So uh, that stopwatch has some kind of magical hold on him. And Dwight goes on to prove that he's a better man than Jim. And the funny thing is, though, uh, even though this is sort of a Jim prank, I guess, Dwight isn't really punished by this at the end. And, and Jim, you know, he thinks he's sort of won or thinks he's sort of punished Dwight. But Dwight's unrepentant with what he's been doing. So it's kind of a, I don't know, no one really wins <laughs> in this case. Or they both win. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, when we get to that clip, we'll talk about it. But this, Now, this next line is one of the highlights of the episode, and this is uh, what's got a lot of people talking here. <laughs> Jim is on a mission to time now to catch Dwight doing anything that's not business-related, and because Dwight is being so fastidious at his job, Jim has to pull out the big guns. Hey, Andy. By any chance, did you see Battlestar Galactica last night? No, I did not. Is that any good? Actually not. It is really so-so. Okay. I mean, I like all the crazy monsters and stuff, you know, like Klingons and Wookiees and all that, but sorry, was there something you wanted to add, Dwight? Is that anything like the original Battlestar Galactica? You know what's weird? It's practically a shot-for-shot -shot remake. Really? Huh. That's cool. The story's kind of bland. It's about this guy named Dumbledore Calrissian oh, who needs okay. to return the ring back to Mordor. Really? That doesn't sound right. You know, just smiling, just listening to that dialogue. And uh, the, the sad thing is that the really what pushes that over the top, it, the dialogue's funny enough, but it's Dwight's reaction. Uh, we... 
mm-hmm. see him face on while Jim is telling Andy this story and just, you know, every fiber of his being is fighting against turning around and saying something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I I thought that was a great scene, and he definitely hit Dwight where it hurts with the Battlestar Galactica reference, of course, also an NBC-related property, which doesn't hurt as well. <laughs> now, the question I have on that scene is, do you, do you think Andy was in on the joke, or do you think he just played dumb straight man? Well, I think that he's just dumb. I, I don't know. I It seemed like a real conversation, because Andy was quite befuddled when he was listening to the description, you know, at the end. Uh, that doesn't sound quite right. Uh, I just, <laughs> I don't know, everything that Jim said, you know, oh, that's funny, it's a shot-for-shot shot remake. You're right. <laughs> and uh, just everything that he was saying, and, and Dwight's just crumpling paper, you can see his fingers, you know, the n- white knuckles, uh, <laughs> as he's trying to do his work while his favorite favorite show is being uh, maligned within his own earshot. So, uh, got to give the man credit, I guess, he's got that uh, shrewd willpower, I suppose. Well, it was a classic prank by my friend Jim. All right, there. So yeah, that gave Dwight uh, a little bit of, a little bit of punishment um, as Jim continues to monitor Dwight. He doesn't get a lot of satisfaction because Dwight, it turns out, is a working peeing machine. <laughs> he has not stopped working for a second. At 12:45, he sneezed while keeping his eyes open, which I always thought was impossible. At 1.32, he peed, and I know that because he did it in an open soda bottle under the desk while filling out expense reports. And on the flip side, I've been so busy watching him that I haven't even started work. That's exhausting, being this vigilant. I'll probably have to go home early today. 19 minutes and 48 seconds. What were we doing for 19 minutes and 48 seconds? None of your business. So I guess I can assume that was personal? Fine. So maybe you're not completely ethical after all. Yes, maybe I'm not. Now, this is kind of a bittersweet ending to this plotline. I guess it depends on your personal kind of taste as far as how this episode goes. Now, Eric on the blog page posted a comment saying that this is a chance here. This scene could have played out a couple different ways. If Dwight would have been shamed and felt bad and then kind of put his head down or felt any kind of repentance for for what he what he'd done there that would have kind of earned back a lot of our sympathy perhaps for the character um fortunately or unfortunately depending on your point of view the writers have none of it and dwight is (laughs) glaring his another creepy look at the camera after his uh, successful 19 minute booty call with angela down in the storeroom so he is not a moral guy, and he does not seem to be bothered by the fact that he's not a moral guy. So, I mean, Jim, yeah, Jim feels like he proved something to Dwight, but Dwight doesn't really care. So what ha- what was the outcome of that whole thing? Well, I, like I said, I think that they both won. Because, and I thought it was a great little moment there because you saw Jim smiling like he was so happy that he'd proven Dwight wrong, but then Dwight... In, in a way, kind of with the audience anyway, got his last laugh because he smirked at the camera like you were saying, that he doesn't feel bad about what he's doing. And, and I think that that's obviously a very interesting turn of events for Dwight, who's always been this law and order type of guy. And obviously he's in this clandestine relationship with Angela. But I don't know, I, I love this relationship with the, with Angela and Dwight and, and Andy there. If that continues on for many episodes, I think it'd be fine by me because I really love that plot line. It could go another half season as far as I'm concerned. 
Uh, obviously, there's going to need to be some comeuppance here for Dwight, some big blow-up Andy Bernard moment. But until that happens, I'm happy to play along. I think this is a great way to go. Well, that's another question, though. Is there going to be any comeuppance for Dwight? At, he, It seems like there must be with him being so smug. I mean, he outright in the conference room meeting, basically in Andy's face, rubbing it in with the whole cuckolding thing and then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the smirk here and the, yeah, he's proud of the fact that he's <laughs> unethical and all these things. I mean, he's, I'm getting a vision, if you remember from the original Halloween episode where Dwight came dressed as the emperor, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting uh, the very same evil dark side vibes off Dwight this uh, this season, so he's got to get some comeuppance, but, you know, really, I mean, at this point, do we feel more sympathetic for Andy or Dwight? Do we want to see Andy get revenge, or is Andy a big, big of you know as big of a tool or more of a tool than Dwight is? Well, it's certainly something where Angela is being painted into a corner as a bad person because, as we saw last week, Andy really does love her and he's trying to do the right thing for her, and at the same time, Dwight is trying to get back into her life as well and I mean yeah he killed her cat or whatever it was that happened last season but you know he's trying to do the right thing too and it's really her problem in this case that's uh, keeping true love from coming together and uh, keeping Andy in the dark really it's not his fault at all. I suppose well it's definitely a very messy messy triangle and uh, (laughs) who said there is no crazy romantic drama involved in this show I don't know Let's uh, go ahead on to the deleted scenes. And there's some good stuff in here. The uh, Ryan and Kevin scene is definitely a, a good kind of poke in Ryan's inflated ego there, and that brings him down a few notches. Um, the other stuff, pretty pretty funny. But uh, that Phyllis scene, man, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I'm just I'm so glad that that was cut from the show that I can't even express it. Oh, yeah. No, I think that uh, this is dark comedy at its darkest, and <laughs> I agree with you that it's definitely uh, not appropriate for this show. <laughs> I mean, the only thing worse would have been somebody, you know, like, oh, yeah, I, I murdered some guy and buried him in my backyard. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take a listen. Stealing office supplies is another big ethical area that there seems to be some confusion about. That's a big ethical area? Listen, I would love to have an honest conversation with management about ethics. Why isn't the company doing better? Mm, it could be the pad of postage I took home last week. Or it could be the $12 million in deferred compensation and stock options they paid the CEO for a year of substandard performance. I'm sure we'll cover both in the seminar. I've done some things I'm not proud of committed some atrocities in Vietnam uh, two years ago, Princess Cruise Lines. During our honeymoon safari in Africa, Bob and I were driving late at night, and he'd been drinking, and suddenly, thump, we hit something with our Jeep. It was probably a man. We didn't know what to do. We heard the police were corrupt and they might beat us, so we just kept driving as fast as we could. We bribed the airline, got on a plane that night, and fled home. (laughs) Maybe it was just an ostrich in a soccer uniform. Have any of you ever faced any ethical dilemmas in the workplace? Let's keep this rolling. Ryan. Oh, but you mean other than embezzling? Fraud, Jim. Fraud. Sure. Last year, you guys were riding me really hard for the website, and I just peeled out my Z3 and I knocked the mirror off somebody's car. I never said a thing. Wait. 
What? You knocked the mirror off of my car. Yeah. Isn't that messed up? Yeah. That guy did a lot of things I'm not proud of. Wait. When you say that guy, do you mean you? I mean the guy I used to be. I'm Ryan 2.0. And if it makes you feel any better, that guy did a lot of messed up stuff to me, too. No, you mean that you did a lot of messed up stuff to you. Look, I feel you. To. Okay? That guy took no responsibility for his actions. But are, are you going to pay for my mirror? If I have to answer for everything that guy did, I'm never going to move on. It was like $200. We're never going to get what we need from that guy. Hey, anybody see a pair of sunglasses? I think I saw some in the kitchen. Oh, I didn't do that. That was Kevin 1.0. He hurt a lot of people, Ryan. And I can't accept responsibility for what he did. <laughs> so some good stuff there. Now, this is kind of funny. We talked about this last season, Kevin, that uh, Ryan was kind of this poster boy for spouting this pseudo-business speak last year. And this year he seems to be the poster boy for spouting pseudo-self-help speak. Um, you know, totally unrepentant, again, that same word, he's not sorry for anything that he's done, um, he, you know, everything's justified, it's not him, it's this other guy, he's even removed himself from the whole situation, and uh, the great visual there is that Kevin gets his revenge by going all the way back to, to season two, to the fire, of course, where he puts Ryan's sunglasses in the toaster oven. Uh, Ryan comes back there finding them, you know, smoke billowing out. And uh, classic, you know, like I said, knocks him down a peg. So good stuff there. I, I like also Oscar's comments, especially in this day and age of the faltering economy here where he's kind of mm-hmm. calling out the uh, the CEOs and, and what's wrong. And at first I thought he was talking about David Wallace, but then I remember he was actually referred to as the chief financial officer. So uh, maybe someone else there that he's criticizing but uh still a good uh good good poke in the uh management's face no you're you're absolutely right about that whole ryan uh speak i, I mean in fact i'm still trying to put all the back and forth together it's still very confusing in my mind um the other guy who did something i don't know i can't even follow it but that was a great moment for kevin to really get back at uh, ryan 2.0 and teach him a lesson and I agree with you that, I, you know, those are the kind of Oscar moments that I like when he's, you know, he's not just a stereotype. He actually has some some intelligent things to say. He showed this a little bit in the, in the regular episode as well. So uh, these are the kind of Oscar moments, moments that I like to see in the show. So let's hope they keep those up. Right. It's, uh, it has nothing to do with him being gay. It has just, you know, to do with him being him. So, right. Uh, yeah, and that Phyllis thing, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's darker than the dark, dark heart of Dwight's. Soul. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That, that that didn't come from the episode of The Office. It was from some uh, you know <laughs> SVU or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was pretty pretty crazy. Although I, w- I did crack up a little bit there listening to that again, the way Phyllis was delivering that stuff. But yeah, the ostrich uh, in the soccer uniform. All right. Pretty pretty dark. Uh, any messages? Yeah, just stuff that. Oh, and this is from corporate. How many times have I told you that there's a special filing cabinet for things from corporate? It's called the waste paper basket. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't uh, 
want to get it. You put it in the garbage can that was a special filing cabinet. Yeah. Uh, that was a joke. Okay, not a lot of advance notice on this one, but Turner Classic Movies says that it's chosen Rain Wilson to be the channel's guest programmer for October. Uh, Wilson will join TCM host Robert Osborne in presenting four movies on October 14th, including High School Confidential, The Gene Krupa Story, Singing in the Rain, and The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Each month, TCM invites a celebrity to exchange his or her star status for the role of devoted fan of classic film by picking a few favorite movies and sharing with viewers what he or she has come to love about each one. So, rather eclectic mix there of films that will be on Tuesday. So, uh, hopefully you have your DVR set. Do you think this is a tie-in for the DVD release of The Rocker? So quickly after its release? uh, That probably is not a coincidence. But uh, in any case, he has some interesting films, all of them. I haven't seen the 5,000 Fingers film, but all the other ones are, no, some of them are musicals anyway. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, NBC Universal Store will be opening its first ever retail branch at the Steamtown Mall in Scranton, Pennsylvania this holiday season. The kiosk will be open from November 1st through December 31st and will offer the usual selections from the office-related merchandise as well as a slew of other products from NBC's lineup. So this is actually... We were talking... We were talking before the show started about a uh, office convention. Do you think this is a nod to Scranton and perhaps uh, something that may happen uh, in 2009? Well, it was mentioned in the original article that part of the reason why they opened this kiosk is because of the business that how much stuff they sold last year at the convention. Uh, it makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense if you think about it, Kevin. I mean, you. You went out of your way to go visit the Steamtown Mall and see this stupid sign there. Um, yep. Hell, now you can buy some crabby trinkets to go along with your memorable trip. Now, I mean, it makes perfect sense. The thing that's kind of interesting is that this is the only branch of this store other than the main, you know, New York City branch. So, I guess they are counting on a lot of a lot of holiday business in Scranton this year. All right. Well, some uh, big news from old Steve Carell recently. First off. Uh, news has come down that uh, Get Smart has done well enough in the world box office to earn itself a sequel, and Carell has signed on for at least one more turn as old Maxwell Smart. Now, if that wasn't big enough news for Steve, there uh, he also has gotten a three-year first-look deal with Warner Brothers through his Carousel Productions company. Uh, said Carell about the deal, My idea was to partner with friends of mine, people I trusted, with whom I share a certain sensibility. I have some ideas for films, but I've gotten to know so many people who are funny, talented, and fertile with ideas that I'm confident this very strong base of friendships will lead to projects. So um, the Get Smart and any of the other stuff he's already committed to is not a part of this deal. So interesting uh, to see, I guess, what uh, what he's going to come up with. Well, this is pretty common for a lot of uh, movie stars to have uh, first-look deals with certain studios, which is why a lot of times you know, it seems like the same studio releases same pictures by certain artists. So, you know, this is great for Steve. I mean, this is going to be uh, a way, certainly, to get his ideas more ingrained into the plots and uh, the process of the films that he's going to be making in the upcoming years. And uh, certainly with the success of Get Smart, which did very well this summer, and I think that's good news for the sequel as well. Uh, You know, I thought that the Get Smart movie didn't suck, and it (laughs) certainly could have. 
and uh, maybe uh, the second turn will uh, reduce the need to have all these, you know, overt references to the 60s show and move on in a kind of its own plot line a la The Office. Well, I'm still waiting to see that movie one of these days, but, uh, you know, I, I'm of mixed mind. I'm, I'm glad, I guess, that he had a success after the bomb that was Evan Almighty, of course, and a lot of his other roles have been pretty pretty minor since the 40-year-old version, I guess. Um, good to see him coming out back on top a little bit, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what he comes up with. Now, well, B.J. Novak will speak at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. on November 11th. Novak will perform a 45-minute stand-up routine in the Prisbola Center Great Room. Following the performance, there will be a meet-and-greet with Novak. Tickets for university students are $12. Class for university, faculty, staff, and graduate students, including students of the Columbus School of Law, will be $18. And any D.C. area college student can get a ticket for $20. The event will also be open to the general public as well, and the cost for those tickets is $25. So if you're in the greater Washington, D.C. area or are a big fan of B.J. Novak, this sounds like an event you don't want to miss. Yeah, I have not ever really heard him do any stand-up material, so I'm not sure what, uh, what, he, what he's like as a stand-up comedian. Well, those tickets even, you know, there's a whole variety of prices there, but in any case, uh, 25 bucks at the upper end is probably not too much for a, you know, 45-minute routine. Yep, sounds good. All right, well, can't get enough of our brilliant insights. Follow Kevin and me on Twitter. Yes, go to twitter.com slash summermat and twitter.com slash Kevin Crossman, and uh, you will be informed up to the minute of our dinner choices for that day. Um, this is our personal account, though. It's not a dedicated That's What She Said feed. So go ahead and follow us if you're so inclined, though. Just be aware that you will find out maybe some things about us that you might not want to know. So just uh, a warning, perhaps. And remember that TWSS mugs and T-shirts are now available. Check out the Cafe Press store at cafepress.com slash TWSS podcast. All right, well, uh, on the cast blog roundup this week, we have another scary entry in the Meredith Sex in the Electric City blog, and uh, she had this to say, of course, at work, we had this business, business ethics seminar, talk about preachy, I don't need people at work telling me how to live my life, they're not my parole officer, besides, I got ethics, I'm no tease, I stopped smoking at gas stations, and I only dine and ditch when I have to. Making this seminar worse was that it was led by that new HR rep, Holly. I hate Holly. Who is she to get in my face about what's wrong and what's right? That skinny bitch has had it you know, out for me since day one. It's so obviously why she's jealous. It might have something to do with her putting that raccoon in her car, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love this Meredith blog. I mean, I, that one in particular, it's great because it's tying into the episode. You get some additional insight into the character and some funny stuff there as well. Yeah, and there's a lot more uh, at NBC.com if you want to go check out more of Meredith's blog. Well, no cast appearances this week. Uh, the next new episode is entitled Baby Shower, which will air on October 16th, 2008. Uh, there's a bun in the oven. Michael's, Michael practices for the birth of Jan's baby by having Dwight go over possible birthing scenarios. Meanwhile, Michael tells Holly that he will pretend to dislike her for Jan's benefit. So that cannot possibly go wrong, Kevin. Well, but why would he pretend to dislike her for Jan's benefit? Maybe there's uh, some actual hookup going on there. 
Well, that could be. We can only hope. I'm, uh... Maybe Jan doesn't care at all. Maybe she really would be upset. I don't know. Michael's twisted logic that he has to, uh... Spare her feelings will, of course, screw him up in some way. It's just... We can <laughs> easily see that this means doom for any kind of relationship that the two of them have. So, all right. That's, uh, next week. There are certain things a boss does not share with his employees. His salary, his bed, and I am not going to tell them that I'll be reading their emails. I gotta erase a lot of stuff. Just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. I know. A lot of stuff. Alright, a few comments from episode 49 of That's What She Said. Tom Strong had this to say. I don't know why you and Kevin keep insisting on happiness between Pam and Jim and Michael and Holly. This isn't a romantic comedy. Happy characters are boring. Writers don't like writing happy people and actors don't like playing them. If that's what you want, there are Fantasy Island reruns. So yeah, Kevin, there you go. Uh, I did I did appreciate the uh, the uh, rhetoric there with the Fantasy Island reference. I did, I did like that. Uh, you know, again... I'll just say I like watching Pam and Jim when they're happy, not when they're sad. And I mentioned this on the blog page in response to Tom's uh, Tom's original post. I mean, this show has always been a romantic comedy. It's always used the Jim and Pam relationship as one of the linchpins of the show. Um, it might not have been the big flashy draw, but it's always been the heart of the show. And the, we've paired off into so many couples over the last few years that... That is definitely an aspect of the show that people are watching and rooting for. So I want to see Michael and Holly happy at least once <laughs> before this episode, before they careen off into different paths somewhere else. But uh, we'll see. But point taken, Tom, I guess we all watch for different reasons. Jake Merrifield wrote in, and of course, Matt, he was re uh, reacting to your negative reaction to last week's episode. Oh, what a shock. Matt was disappointed by an episode because Michael didn't come through in the end. Very predictable. As predictable as the sun rising in the east, Michael Scott's fortune is the official barometer of Matt Summers' opinion of any given office episode. Ouch. That being said, even though this is my first time posting, I've listened to every episode of That's What She Said, and I really appreciate the time and energy that both Kevin and Matt put into the podcast. You guys do an excellent job, and I really enjoy what you guys have to say. I apologize that Matt's Michael Homerism finally got the best of me after all these episodes. Well, again, as I posted on the blog page in response to this comment originally is, you know, what can I say? You guys, <laughs> you've listened to the show for two years. You know what I think. You know how I, what I like and what I don't like. And, you know, it's, it's like uh, reading a reviewer who loves horror movies, who always gives positive reviews to horror movies, and then being shocked that he likes a horror movie. So what can I say, Jason? <laughs> All right, Amy had this to say, said, Matt, I'm not going to defend you because, A, you already know what you're doing, and, B, it's obvious that you do like The Office and you just want it to be the best show it can be. That said, Kevin, you killed me with your irrational exuberance this week. I laughed so much when I heard you talking about your ahem, reaction to Jim when he told Dwight that he'd report him. Seriously, you slayed me. Love you guys. My name is Kevin C., and I have a bromance. <laughs> You are scary, my friend. 
Well, uh, yes, thank you, Amy, for the, uh, the comments and not thinking I'm too completely weird. All right. Well, you know, Matt, we talked, I think, in a couple episodes ago about the theme song for That's What She Said. Wes wrote in about that. He said, you guys have got me hooked on Corporate Whore, the uh, artist who plays That's What She Said theme song. I downloaded their whole album on iTunes and have scoured the internet for anything related to them, but there is sadly very little. Hope they make it big. They rock in a very fantastic way. Well, I've uh, a couple of people criticized me for having a song that just had nothing to do in their mind with the show, uh, but I've always enjoyed it, and I've pointed people in their direction. I, I used to play a lot of music in different selections of things. I know, Kevin, you weren't a big fan of that kind of thing, but... Uh, I don't know. Are you guys missing the music segment? Do you want me to go back in and find some more musical gems to play during the iPod segment? If if you do, let me know. If you don't, let me know. Either way. So I don't know. I, maybe maybe people are missing out. And back to talking about business ethics. Adam on the blog page said, I thought this was a great episode. The Battlestar Galactica conversation was one of the funniest gags I had seen in a while. I also liked when Michael ran in front of Holly to photocopy the picture on the wall. Hilarious. So there you go, in your face, Kevin. Well, Michelle in New York wrote, Cute episode, though I sorely missed the pres presence of a significant B-plot. I was glad we saw Holly exposed to Michael's business side. So far, they've only really been interacting on a personal level, and it seems that while their personalities may be eerily compatible, their ideas of professional behavior are quite different. I wonder what Miss Flax thinks of, quote, her best friend in the office, unquote, now. Also, chalk another point to David Wallace. It turns out his dislike of Kendall is entirely warranted and not just in a corporate Toby situation. <laughs> Good point there. Um, I don't know. I have to go against that whole significant B-plot. I think that the Jim and Dwight <laughs> thing was sufficient enough for me to uh, distract from that main plot line. Well, it was enough of a distraction, but I agree that, that it was not a significant B-plot. My gripe has been, and I felt that in a lot of cases, the B-plot has been kind of a a separate script that they sort of shoehorned into the other one. Mm -hmm. And in this case, at least the plots were related enough. Uh, so if it's, if it's not going to have um, a big B plot, it, this is a good example of where I think it can work uh, well um, to, to kind of give some different personalities and different perspectives on this particular topic. All right. Well, Sarah had this to say. She said, Matt, are you glad to finally see Meredith get a plot line? As a longtime listener of the podcast, I thought of you when she was finally getting some air. Well, we already kind of talked about that. Yeah, I guess I'm of mixed minds. Glad she got more coverage. Uh, a little disappointed that she's still a crazy cartoon skank. But uh, <laughs> we'll see if Meredith develops a soul sometime this year. Yeah, we talked about it already in this episode, but let's uh, give credit where credit is due to Frankie C., uh, who wrote in, How could Meredith have been having something going on with the Hammerwell rep for six years when Michael landed the Hammer Mill account in Season 3 convention episode two years ago. So, yes, Frankie, thank you for um, setting our chronology straight. <laughs> and Sean agreed with us. Uh, trick question, the bread is poisoned, and it's not your real family. You've been cuckolded by a stronger, smarter male. Perhaps the best written line ever in sitcom history. Yeah, it's a, it's a line that doesn't work well outside of the context, but I agree that it was a very good line. <laughs> All right, Eric wrote in, at the end of the Jim Dwight plot line, when Jim says, maybe you're not completely ethical after all, this was the chance the episode had to save itself. If Dwight had looked even slightly ashamed instead of giving that creepy smirk to the camera, he would have totally regained my sympathy. Instead, the weird grossness just continues. <laughs> yeah, and we so talked do you think about that, that. Do you think the episode was not saved by the weird smirk? 
Um, it Did depends it on saving? well. It depends on what you want. I mean, I have always been, and as uh, our friend Jake pointed out, I am the guy that wants redemption. I want to see the characters do likable things. So my initial reaction would be that I would probably have liked to see Dwight start to actually feel human and feel sorry for what he's doing, perhaps. But you know, hey, they're making him into a villain, and they're really, really working it well to make him someone that we hate just like we used to in the first two seasons so i'm i'm along for the ride i guess i don't i don't mind hating dwight if i have a good enough reason to i agree <laughs> all right well uh b had this to say i laughed once when michael and holly entered the first conference with the headbands on maybe it's just me but i thought the jim dwight plot was boring and labored dare i say the jim pranking dwight angle is played out the thought it was weak show not tell show us that fight between michael and holly it could have been the funniest part of an otherwise bland episode. Um, I had a few people mention that, that they were disappointed that we did not see them actually get into a fight. I don't know if there was anything more that we needed to see. I think that line there of this is not a family is really enough that would throw Michael into a funk. Well, it certainly was a good place to break for a commercial in the episode. And unless the confrontation would have been really hilarious, which I guess it could have been, uh, it certainly was something that could have easily been excised. I think we all understand what happened without having to see it. Uh, I think B, like me, was feeling like there could have been more comedy, and if there had been a few back and forth between Michael and Holly, it might have uh, raised the joke quotient, at least for us. Obviously, you had a different reaction to the episode, um, so we'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, I just want to mention B has been prolific at writing on our blog, but... It, Sounds like maybe there's a couple people posting with the same name, so be be cool, everyone. Post with your real name or <laughs> use the same handle. Don't try to imitate somebody else. Exactly. Now, I, I do want to say, though, Kevin, I think that I don't know what else they could have done with that, though, because during the lunch scene, it, it seemed very clear to me that they played just about every angle they could play with the Holly and Michael conflict. I mean, she thinks it's creepy and sees business as business, and Michael thinks it's family. I mean, really, what more could there? What more could you say? Uh, I, I think that cutting out the fight really makes a lot of sense, actually, uh, because we're more interested in the outcome of the fight than the actual fight itself. Or at least I was. Um, I don't. I don't see how they could have gotten any laughs out of them fighting another few minutes. Well, I don't generally disagree with you. I think there could have been times where there could have been some comedy moments, like the time where she walks into Michael's office and says, can I have a seat? And he says, I don't know, can you? <laughs> and things like that. I mean, you could have done some things with the tip at the end of the meal or the check or the ride home. Could have shown some of that. Uh, you know, if this episode had been supersized, we would have gotten the Ryan plot line, and we probably would have had a little bit more of that tension. But uh, I agree with you. I don't know that that was a fatal flaw in this episode, that we didn't get to see the confrontation. Man, yeah, just think about this. How is this for awkward? What if we had, like... Uh, a real-time, something like two-minute drive where they just sat there and didn't say a word to each other. And it just played out in the in the show. Uh, that would have been... If only we had much more time, but in any case. All right, well, Kevin, that's going to do it for us this week. Join us in a week or so for episode 51, Baby Shower. Please send any comments or constructive compliments to Podcast at gmail.com and visit the show blog page at twsspodcast.com If you have a chance, please leave positive feedback on iTunes and spread the word in the various The Office related forums. Every little bit helps. 
Um, one thing I want to say is this last week, Kevin, very sad showing in the, that's what she said, chat room. I don't know how it was on the West Coast, but only saw about three or four people in the chat room uh, in the Central time. So, guys, let's, uh, you know, come on in there. Join us on Thursday during the episode, after the episode. Go to That's What She Said, the uh, TWSSpodcast.com. Hit that green conference room button on the sidebar and uh, get chatting with me, Kevin, and other That's What She Said listeners. Music for this episode was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com. And remember to head on over to NBC.com slash The Office during the week for additional deleted scenes, interviews, cast blogs, episode recaps, and more. And for Kevin Crossman, I'm Matt Summer, and let's just say, let's get physical. I took it